Welcome to Present Company, the Netflix podcast that brings you dynamic conversations with exceptional people behind your favorite series, films, documentaries, and specials. I'm your host, Krista Smith. For years, I was Vanity Fair's ambassador to Hollywood, interviewing countless actors as well as creatives and authorities across the spectrum. My passion is talent, any form of it. How do you know you have it? How do you cultivate it? How do you protect it? And also, I want to get to the heart of what drives it. On this podcast, I'll be talking to people in Hollywood and far beyond. Thank you for joining me. Today, I'm sitting down with Betty Gilpin, who stars on GLOW, a show set in 80s Los Angeles about a crew of misfits who reinvent themselves as the gorgeous ladies of wrestling. Gilpin was raised on the East Coast by actors and has few illusions about show business. She's refreshingly candid about the superficial expectations actresses navigate on a daily basis, a dynamic she refers to as playing the porny poodle. Well, let's talk about you. So you come (laughs) from parents who were working actors. Yeah. Not on a first-name basis, but journeyman. Actors hired, successful in what they did. Yeah. And... Watching from the sidelines, or what was that like growing up in that environment and being on the sidelines and seeing it as as a regular day job? To me, it was just the most magical thing that you could do with your life. I mean, my understanding of what being an actor was, was like everyone sitting around the equity cot in a dressing room, gossiping, eating Werther's candies. You know, women in wig caps, like eating grocery store sushi crying into their sushi and then putting on a wig and making an entrance as Arcadena or a a queen. You know, just the ability to access a a part of life that was fantastical and magical and also the funniest, gossipiest, saltiest people on the face of the earth. I mean, hearing my mom say, come in and shut the door, like, let's gab— So basically, I was like, if this is a way of life, then I need to do this. Well, growing up in that environment and seeing it, why didn't you just go right into it when you were 18? I mean, I was begging my parents to let me be a child star. I only saw the positive side of it. I, I couldn't see the dark side. And their rule was you have to graduate college before Um, you can act professionally and you can major in theater. But I think the rule was that it had to be a school that wasn't just a conservatory, that um, I had to take core classes as well. I think they were just praying that I would fall in love with my math classes or whatever. I mean, (laughs) as I would for my kid, too. Like, I'm going to put an abacus in front of my baby and be like, look how fun numbers are. Isn't this fun and less heartbreaking? Maybe by the time I'm ready to be pregnant, you'll be able to, like, program what they're interested in because I I can't imagine anything more vulnerable than watching your child navigating being an actor. It's constant vulnerability and <laughs> rejection, but also the best thing ever. You know, I sort of in college realized, oh, you know, this other stuff that I struggle with, like depression or the stuff about myself that um, is— a little, like, ghostier and uh, more ethereal or whatever, that is useful in work, too, and doesn't have to be, you know, 
you push it down, build a stage on top of it, and do a kick line. It's like sometimes you do that, and then sometimes you open up the trap door and funnel that into your work. You know, I think that that to me is something that's so exciting about what's happening today, particularly with actresses, is they're like, hey, here's what I've been feeling for decades, and I'm going to put it on screen instead of putting a fake eyelash over it and pretending it doesn't exist. Well, that's one of the great things about Glow, and I think it's success, is you're trapped into the 80s, right? So you're tricked into thinking like, oh, there's a shoulder pads and hideous colors, and look at that (laughs) sweater with all those patterns and those high-waisted jeans. (laughs) And the start of the show, it already telegraphs. It's like, here's your best friend who slept with your husband. Like, this is going to be complicated while it's going to look like cotton candy at the same time. There's a camp element to just, oh, wrestling, and then you suddenly realize it's anything but. Yes, totally. And I think that that's what drew me in at, at any rate, was seeing, like, how are they going to resolve this? This is yeah. fucked up. Yes, like, so I fucked can't up. believe this is the pilot. <laughs> yeah. You know, and then yeah. obviously, as I just I told you, I watched the whole thing throughout the course of, of a week. I kind of absorbed it all. And I was like, wow, they've got to be athletes. Mm-hmm. They've got to be almost naked. Yep. And they have to play these really complex female characters. And then... I can't imagine the hour spent in the hair and makeup chair because it's the yeah. the curls and the blue eyeshadow and yeah. the, all of that. I mean, I will say it's no longer in the hair and makeup chair than if I were playing a detective on a modern show. This is what's crazy is that, like in college, it's a lot of like rolling around in your pajamas, crying about your childhood, doing Shakespeare, doing theater of the absurd. Everyone's on the same playing field, men, women. You know, it's about accessing that inner Joan of Arc. And then when I graduated, I realized, oh, in order to be on camera, it's not about finding your rawest, basest self. I'm going to be in a hair and makeup chair for two and a half hours being painted and sculpted by award-winning professionals to look like a different person, to look like the fanciest, poodliest, porniest version of myself in order to be like lawyer woman. And I think that Glow does a good job of sort of um, taking that trope on and sort of winking at all that, being like, yeah, I know that for decades we've been told that Because we're party and because we're either the wife or girlfriend, your job is to, like, show your butt and wink and then step to the side when actually you're like, just so you know, how I feel today is Medea-level rage. Or I shit my pants on the way here and I also want to throw this watermelon through a windshield I think we are ripping the lid off of that. It's such an overused word, authenticity. Right. But I do think that there is an authentic, like, women hear me roar kind of thing. I mean, it's like the girl-on-girl rage can be just as destructive, you know, as being in a situation where the male is dominated and has more power over the female and the female is reacting. Yes. And I love that line when you address Ruth and you say the only time you didn't open your legs, we all get fucked. Yes. Like, wow, if you would have handled it this way, we would have gotten what we wanted. Right. And so would have he. Right. And it was so interesting to see how the show played that out. Yeah, I think it's tricky because I think that Debbie sort of believes the world when it tells her the things 
that are most valuable and powerful about her are the things that are going to expire, like her looks. It can feel like power, and it's the opposite. And I think Debbie has high self-confidence and very low self-worth. And I think seeing her friend have high self-worth in that situation and leave the room where she was being sexually harassed, I think Debbie realized, oh, I wouldn't have done that. And I haven't done that. I would have stayed and flirted because I thought that was my job to do that. There being a male gaze representative in your own brain telling you, like, yep, that guy's right. That's what you're worth. And, you know, I think every day I try to kill that person in my own brain. It's so fucking hard. (laughs) It changes and evolves and it matures. Yeah. And there are different voices come up. But it is a consciousness to stay on track. Yeah. I think that Glow also does a good job of um, telling the story of things like racism and misogyny being in the groundwater in that it's not just— the outwardly mwahaha people who are misogynist or racist. It's so much grayer and sadder and uh, weirder than that. Sam, I love the character of Sam. I think Mark plays him so beautifully. He's a real person who is sexist. And Debbie has real sexism. And I'm sure that I, Betty, do. I still am scared to, like, show up to a job just as the dark ham and not checking the horny poodle boxes. I mean, like I was saying, every time I've gotten the opportunity to do my passion, it's been because I've gone through several rounds of casting that is about the porny poodle stuff, mostly. The casting director is usually a woman who's like, let's find the best version of this scene. And then you get to the next level where it's usually men who are like, and what porny poodle boxes can you check? Every audition I would have like, right now I'm wearing a blazer and a bodysuit under it. I would do the first scene with the blazer on being like, okay, I'm an actor, you guys. And then probably for the second scene, I would take the blazer off to be like, and... For this brief time, I check the porny poodle boxes. Please let me have this job so I can have health insurance, clearly. Well, let's talk about um, also in my Google search on you, other than finding out your family background. (laughs) Like I read the Lenny letter, what you did for Glamour magazine, what you did in The Hollywood Reporter, and what you did for The New York Times. You are one hell of a writer. Oh, thanks. So funny and so right (laughs) on about acting. The headline, actually— a field of cashmere and a casual tub of knives. <laughs> and in all the years I've been covering actors in Hollywood and movies and filmmakers and in front of and behind the camera, there's certainly like that just struck a chord for me of like, wow, that's a perfect way to encapsulate what it's like to be an actor. Right. And I don't know if you would either do your own show or write something, or maybe I'm naive and this is already in the works and I just don't know about it. No. But you have a real gift for words. That's so nice. Thank you so much. I mean, I think that I'm trying to be like the healthy version of a mom of a child actor to myself. Like when I see moms do it right with their kids, when they're like, okay, yep, we can enjoy this part. Yeah, let's stay at this party for half an hour. This will be fun for you. And then we're going home because the rest of it is not healthy. Like every day I'm trying to navigate like, okay, what's like celebrating and enjoying the moment and what's going to turn you into like 
a vocal fry Voldemort person who no longer has access to the Joan of Arc stuff because you've like sipped the Kool-Aid a little too much. Well, what you say about social media is it's like a child in footy PJs sliding down a banister who then turns into a naked adult. <laughs> right. And the banister turns into a razor blade. Yeah. Yeah. It's why I'm not on social media because I'm like, it'll tip over too quickly for me. I know that all of a sudden I would be locked in a dark cell. Like, the reason I'm an actor is because I was taking field notes on everybody from, like, the side. And and one of the person who I took field notes on is, like, the alpha girl who loves lip gloss and likes pictures. And now I'm having to, like, pretend that I'm that person. And I'm like, oh, God, ding, ding, ding. Just to be clear, this is me, like, presenting my field notes on that person in this character. Still, I still don't know. Like, I'm wondering what's going to happen between Demi and Ruth. And can you ever get over something like that? Can you ever make up? Can you ever come back? God, I don't know. I don't know if they'll ever make up. (laughs) I mean, I just find it so interesting and beautiful that they're sort of cursed to loving each other, that— Probably the healthy thing would be to never speak again, but they are each other's person in life. And I think that um, something that our show tackles really well is uh, that part of the curse and blessing of being a girl is your job is to craft an identity that is armor for the world and, like, pitch yourself as a character to who you are. And that's a very lonely process. And I think that Glow kind of is an allegory for that, that Liberty Bell is like, this beauty queen has it all together, and Debbie is a mess and lonely. And I think that the unity that we're finding right now is so many women out loud are being like, hey, I cried in my car on my way here. I think that Ruth and Debbie, they know the person crying in each other's car. They know each other on the basest, sweetest, saddest level. And you have to hold on to those people who know you like that because this world is ending. (laughs) (laughs) All right. I ask everybody these questions. So there's no wrong answer. Okay. Uh, What are you reading? What am I reading? I'm reading this book called Old Man's War. It's a sci-fi book. I like reading sci-fi because it gets me out of my own head. Um, And weirdly, my acting approach is very sci-fi. You know, I wrote in my Lenny letter about all the women that exist in my brain. I like thinking about all the women that are in a character's brain who take turns at the wheel. So sci-fi weirdly feels like an acting book almost. (laughs) All right. What are you uh, listening to? Music-wise? Yeah. Billie Eilish. I'm obsessed with her. Love Billie Eilish. Um, I love her. I, I can't believe that there is a female pop star out there right now who, A, writes her own music with her brother and has a real ear, and who is only wearing baggy clothing and not doing porny poodle stuff at all. It makes me realize that the new generation don't have as uh, big of a male gaze representative in their brain as I do. So I'm I'm learning from these kids. And her music is amazing. All right, what are you eating? So I just got off of Glow and then two action things where I had to not diet, but eat, like, protein. And, like, I was in military training for a while. So 
in the month that I've been not working have really been freebasing muffins and literally anything. It's It's got to come to a close because I'm starting to not feel very good, but literally whatever I want. That's great. And you're so physical for GLOW. I mean, you guys yeah. are working out. You're lifting, yes. you know, humans over your head yeah. on a regular basis. Yep. Yeah. So that takes fuel, too. It takes total fuel. And also doing that, working a 16-hour day, five days a week. I mean, there's not a world where I could do this job and be eating, like, leaves. I mean— I'm eating, like, protein shakes and eggs and carbs and, you know, all that stuff. Mm-hmm. But it's amazing. You guys are so fit, and it looks so good and cool. It's funny. I, you know, in high school, I was, like, a sliver of an Ichabod Crane mouse. Like, I had no curves, no <laughs> nothing, and ate, would eat, like, two M&Ms and a cigarette. Look at the sky. And now I'm, like, probably, like, 40 pounds more than I was in high school, and it's— wonderful. (laughs) (laughs) What are the two action movies that you were doing? Um, One is called The Hunt. It's going to come out in September, and it's going to be controversial, I would say, and that's all I'll say. And then um, a Netflix movie called Coffee and Kareem, where I play uh, an insane person. I basically um, have only played insane people, which has (laughs) been really fun. (laughs) All right, my last question. What's the last thing you binged? The last thing I binged, um, uh, The OA. I'm obsessed with that show. I, I think Britt Marling is so amazing and so inspiring, and that show's crazy. Also, Russian Doll, I'm also obsessed with. Natasha Leone is the Patty Smith of our time. <laughs> That's a good way to put it. She's so good. <laughs> yeah, she is. I, I do love both of those shows. Betty, I'm so happy I got to chat with you. Thank I want to so have much. you back and talk more, and Let's I want to read more. Things that you write. Okay, I'll write more. Oh, God. (laughs) Glow is streaming now on Netflix. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast wherever you've been listening. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at Krista Smith. Present Company is produced by Netflix and Gimlet Creative. Join me next time for more meaningful conversations here at Present Company.